Greetings and salutations. This is the Accelerated Culture Podcast, the rise of alternative music in the 80s and beyond. In this podcast, we aim to walk through an often ignored bit of music history. My co-host Trey and I will explore how new waves stormed the airwaves in the early 80s and gave way to the rise of alternative music. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Accelerated Culture Podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Trey. And we are about to discuss 1986, Banner Year. Yeah, there was a lot of great stuff in this year. Some of our favorite bands put out stuff. And there was a lot of good one-hit wonders this year, too. There really were, and we're going to talk about a few of them. Yeah, we've got a couple, we've got a few on this list, and we've got one of our favorite bands, and a member of our favorite band, one of our favorite bands. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're talking about Duran Duran. Right. Right? And Trey, you and I both got the news at the same time, I think. We're really excited, because Duran Duran is recording a new album, and at least some of the tracks are going to feature their original guitarist, Andy Taylor. I didn't believe it at first, remember? Like, yeah, yeah, I did remember I messaged remember that, you, yeah. and I was like, are you, are you here? And I actually found out from Caddy Kressner, who is the band's PR person. She posted it on her Facebook, and then I knew it was legit. So not all of the songs are going to have Andy. It's my understanding that they're going to have a few different guest artists. Who, who? And that's what I was going to ask. Who else? Lauren or... I, you know, I doubt Warren is coming back. I'm sure Dom's going to be on a few tracks, Dom Brown. I bet you they're going to bring Nile Rodgers in for some of them. Now, I don't know that for a fact. I'm speculating. What's those members, though? Well, maybe they'll bring Sterling back. Oh, Sterling the Campbell, the, the drummer. Yeah, who knows? I, you know, I really don't know. So the rumor currently is that this is going to be the long-whispered-about Halloween album. I don't know if that's true. Well, not another covers album. That I, well, I, I hope not. <laughs> I didn't care for the first one. Thank you is the, the covers album that you're referring to. Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying thank you for saying yeah, that. Well, that too. That too. But now, interestingly enough, Trey, if Duran Duran's tour is starting, boy, I want to say June. They it don't is. have very much time. They don't have much time in the studio at all. I wonder if they're going to uh, resurrect some, what was it called, Skin Divers? No, 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 maybe. maybe. Have you heard that? No. One, one can acquire one does where to flip on the web, and that's all I'll say. You should okay. listen to it. It's really good. It's probably on YouTube. Go check it out after the show. All right. Well, so we've got other things to talk about besides Duran Duran, don't we, Trey? Yes, we do. We could go an right. hour on that, though. So this episode, we're going to talk about our favorite songs of 1986. Trey and I have each picked 10 songs. Let's get right into it. All right. One of my favorite bands from 1986, I wore out my cassette tape, and I am not exaggerating here, was a band called New Shoes, 
And they had an album called Poolside, which I guess was actually their third album. First one I ever heard. And the first song, the song that I just fell in love with is this one. It's called I Can't Wait. Basketball fans might actually recognize that song because they play a little bit of it. Like I know at Chicago Bulls games, they'll play that dun 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 dun. They'll play that sometimes in between. Um... Yeah, yeah. It's a rolling bass synthesizer. If anyone's into music gear out there, of course you know that. Yeah, that's how they made that. I didn't know that. You've heard that a gazillion times. You just don't know it. It has a very distinctive sound, does it? Well, you could you could warp it. Ministry used on a lot of bands. We like those things. Duran Duran probably has one of their songs somewhere. One of their oh, songs. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm yeah. sure they do. So, New Shoes was a husband and wife duo, John Smith and Valerie Day, originally from Portland, Oregon. I love this song. I just, you know, the album wasn't that great to be. But she, you know, they have made billions off of this song. This has got to be one of those, you know, one-hit wonders where they're living the high life forever off it. And they still tour, so... Oh, do they? Oh, yeah, they're still very much active. Up next, we have Life's What You Make It by Talk Talk. And this is just, I, you know, this is a fantastic song. Play it right quick for our audience. believe i'd never heard this song before i didn't get acquainted with it until the release of the video game grand theft auto vice city in 2002 and it's on one of the radio stations of the game really and i was like this is talk talk well i didn't know it came out i was like this is wonderful got the game manual out looked up i was like this is talk talk it's a wonderful song they must have really made bank off that game huh who talk talker yeah i'm sure they did i mean probably probably you know they got some royalty checks from it oh yeah i don't think this song did anything in the u.s but apparently it was a minor hit in the uk it's got such a fantastic groove to it because it's a little bit repetitive but it's catchy i you know i i'm very surprised that i wasn't familiar with this one 
we've talked about Talk Talk in our previous episodes, right? We know Mark Hollis, the lead singer, passed away a few years ago. Right, right. Criminally underrated band, for sure. Oh, yeah, totally. They, they need more recognition, for sure. People go by their records. They're a great band. So, speaking of one-hit wonders, Trey, I know you alluded to them earlier. This is one of the more notorious ones of 86, at least. Yes. So, I chose Digging Your Scene by the Blow Monkeys. I love this song. other minor hits they had one song what did i hear you say that i think was in the one of the police academy movies actually was but it? this was yeah but this was their big big hit it was from their 1986 album animal magic which was their second album but it was their first real hit and it went to number 14 on the billboard hot 100 it's actually a pretty good app too if you've never heard the whole thing yeah no it is it is pretty good the lead singer's name, interestingly enough, is Dr. Robert. He doesn't actually have a PhD, but... I, f- I hear he's got a bit of what they refer to as Morrissey syndrome. Oh, really? A yeah. little bit of a diva, huh? Yeah. You know, different backing band every album, but, you know... That could be. I, I mean, I confess I really don't know much about them, and I actually only... Recently, when I was researching this episode, learned the story behind the band name, the Blow Monkeys. Do you know this? No, I do not. Well, in a 1986 interview for Spin Magazine, Dr. Roberts said, I played acoustic guitar with a couple of aborigines on didgeridoos. They named us the Blow Monkeys, which is a pretty racist thing, but I thought it was a good band name. So Aborigines on Didgeridoos. I had no, I would have never guessed that. I thought it was a reference to cocaine. Yeah. That's I what assumed it, it was like. too. <laughs> I assumed it was too. So. You know, it was the 80s, British guys, you know, that's, that's what was going on. Yes. <laughs> All right, Trey, your next song is by one of my absolute favorite artists. And I've got a story behind this there. Let's, let's let them hear the song. Bit of a song for us tonight. We'll talk about it. Ship of Fools by World Party.
I am so, so in love with World Party. Car Wallinger. Am I saying his name right? Wallinger, right? Not Wallinger. I always thought it was Wallinger. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, he's he's Welsh. He was originally from a band called the Water Boys, and he struck out on his own. And so most of this album was him working alone in a recording studio, but he did occasionally bring in some guest musicians. I thought that was the case with everything they did. It was basically him with an uh-huh. ever-changing cast of others. Yes, yes. And this was his debut album, right? Private Revolution? Mm-hmm. I hated this song when it was out. I just thought that I thought this band was horrible. And then I'm gonna have to, I'm trying to look this up while we talk. What's the uh-huh. movie from '94 with uh, Winona Ryder? Uh, it's can't uh, Reality fu- Bites. Right, right. Reality Bites. And actually, we're gonna mention the Reality Bites soundtrack. Yeah, it's I think it's yeah. Uh, when you come back to me. Okay, so in '94. In 90- You'll have the answer. Yeah. I love it. In 94, I was hanging out with some girl. She had the soundtrack CD in her car. And that song came on. And I was like, who is this? And she's like, I don't know. So I, I ducked the cover around of the garbage in her car. I was like, we're party. This is fantastic. So I ended up getting everything they had out of that point over the course of the next couple of weeks. I was like, this is actually a pretty good band. I was wrong. He's an amazing, amazing songwriter. This is one of those bands where I wonder what on earth they do because they'll disappear for six years, come out with an app, they'll sell a billion copies of it, then just yeah, fade off into the ether again. I'm like, where do these people go? You know, that's the way to do it, though, is, is you know, because then you're producing art for art's sake, not because well, of some arbitrary record label schedule or something like that. But they they were. What are they going and waiting tables at an Olive Garden in the meantime? I mean, they've got to have something coming in. Think about well, it. Well, you know, I actually saw Carl Wallinger World Party do an acoustic set a few years back here in Chicago, and it was it was so beautiful. It was absolutely amazing. I'm so glad I got the chance to see him. This song, by the way, "Ship of Fools," was World Party's sole Billboard Top 40 single. Really? Yes. And it didn't actually make the charts until April of 1987. So it took a little while to catch on. I remember this was still getting a lot of airplay into 87. Yeah. And it was written and produced by Carl Wallinger. And he's got to be getting up there in age now, too. I think that's the case of many of these artists. Well, I mean, he's got to be 70 years because the Water Boys were, what, mid-70s to, you know, when they started out. 65. Well, I went far off. Okay. So, 1986 was really kind of the year of the Mm singer-songwriter. Another one that had a big, big hit, unfortunately a one-hit wonder, was Robbie Neville. And this was his most famous song, C'est la vie.
And he went on to be a music producer, right? Rebecca, is that? Well, so here's what I know. Uh, he did go on to write music for other artists, Babyface, Jessica Simpson, Destiny's Child. He also worked on High School Musical in Hannah, Montana, and he's received several ASCAP songwriting awards for his work on those two shows. Interesting, no? One of the guys from Autograph, you know, turn up. Yeah. He's involved in Violet Miley Cyrus and High School Musical, too. Okay. And I'm like, where do these, that's cool to see, but, you know, like I just said, where do these people go? And I got one of my answers there. There you go. So, unfortunately, Robbie Neville was never able to replicate the success of this song. It did spend two weeks at number two on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in January of 87. Yeah, this song was everywhere. It was, and it remained in the top 40 for 16 weeks. MTV was just killing it with the video, too. I got sick of it. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> One of the reasons I think that this song is so good is the kind of call and response thing. What you gonna do, what you gonna say, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I there, there's some really good layering there of the different different vocalists, I think. It was, you know, this is one of those songs I wouldn't say I liked it, but I didn't mind it either. You ever have something like that? Yeah, well, I, I, I can see that about a lot of songs. I wouldn't bitch about it, but, you know, are we moving on? We're moving on to one of our favorite bands, Trey. And this is one of my absolute favorite songs, Wild. When I first heard the album, I kept playing this track over and over and over, and it's Listen Like Thieves by NXS. Yeah, no secret, we love In Excess at Accelerated Culture. And the guitarists in this song are just some of their best guitar work ever. Yeah, so we've got Tim Ferriss, who's the lead guitarist, and Kirk Pengilly, who is the rhythm guitarist. Which one of them was making that weird noise? That dicka 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 That would be Kirk. Of... That would or, be Kirk. Yeah, that just absolutely rocked. The sad thing is they weren't able to really replicate that exactly live. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen. Obviously, I've never seen them live, live. I've seen video of their live performances. The Sunday, what's the infamous end video where they play for the King and Queen? Oh, Rock and the Royals. Yeah, that's a that's actually the best live version of it. I, 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 uh, I'll have to go back and watch it again. I was going to say something about the video. If you happen to be a fan, if you happen to be a fan of John Carpenter. You will notice this video bears more than a few things that come with the baby escape from New York. Yes, I never made that connection, believe it or not. At the beginning of the movie, there's a scene where they're watching like some drag performers in an old theater. That's that's how I'm most shocked for shot for that scene of the movie. 
doctor and Michael walks in and he kind of right. looks like exactly like snake. Yeah. Right. And he's got the gun and everything. Wow. See, now, uh, now it all makes sense. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't make that connection on, before. On one of the YouTube uploads, uh, which is how I got brought to my attention, somebody lined it up, just wrote a whole 10 paragraphs and pointed it out. I was like, holy shit, they're exactly right. Wow. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch Escape from New York. Yeah. That's it. They were definitely influencing Bad Max, so too. Well, yeah, because they're Australian. Because they're, they're Australian, yeah. But they were, it, it's uncanny when you put the two together or watch it. Yeah. Now, I will say, as far as lyrics go, this one I think is a little bit up there with some of Michael's more incomprehensible lyrics. It's like, I was going to say, it's like some of those Duran Duran songs. You're like, fuck are they talking about? Well, who cares? It's good. Yeah, I mean, I it was the eighties. It was the future. They were in the. It was a future song from the eighties. Okay, you know, they All were right. singing about the year two thousand. I mean, what does that mean, though? Everybody's down on their knees, listen like thieves. That doesn't really make sense. It sounds fantastic. It's the future, Lori. We haven't got that okay. yet. One day we will understand uh, okay. what Michael was trying to tell us. The prophecy, according to Michael Hutchins. Exactly. I'm sure the rest of the band members know. They just can't say anything yet. It's not. It's not the right time. Gotcha. What's the matter with you? <laughs> you could please All leave right. that in there. I will, definitely. That one was and, great. Um, hey, you know what? We got to give a shout out, Trey, to our friends Hayden and B at the NXS Access All Areas podcast. Cheers, you guys. Great show. Huh. Excellent show. I don't know, I've been pouring through it here and there over the past couple of months. You know, when I find a new podcast I like, I'll start at episode one and just go, go straight from yes. there. Yes, and that's really what you got to do with them, mm-hmm. with all, all the album deep dives and stuff. Yeah, and and you know, I, I'm not lying when I say without them, this podcast wouldn't exist, because that's what inspired me to create this and the other uh, the other podcasts I do, Stateside Madness. So directly inspired by them. Well, thanks for inspiring us, guys. Yeah, keep up <laughs> the good work, Hayden and B. All right, so next up, we have again another one hit wonder. This was a band called the Communards, which consisted of former Bronsky Beat member Jimmy Somerville and a saxophonist and classically trained pianist, Richard Coles. And the name of this song, this is going to get stuck in your head now, Trey, Don't Leave Me This Way. So obviously that is a remake of the classic Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes song. There was also a disco version of it in the 70s that was very popular. I think my favorite thing about this one is Sarah Jane Morris. So they brought her on as a guest vocalist. She has got this gorgeous, deep contralto voice, which contrasts so beautifully with 
Jimmy Somerville with that falsetto that he does. What do you think of this one? You know, I, I didn't really know this until much later in life. It didn't really get any airplay down here. And of course, I've never seen the video. We just got MTV friendly down here in old Augusta, Georgia. But, and I remember seeing it, but I just wasn't all that familiar with it. These guys, I know they had a couple of hits overseas. They, I think we're bigger in the UK than they yeah, were they here. they were. And Jimmy Somerville went on a bunch solo, didn't he? He's he's had his. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just kind of, here, here he is. Hey, look, here I am. Yes. Yeah, it, it's a good song. There was sort of a thing there for a while, covered 60s or 70s songs there in the mid-80s. Well, this was the Communards' biggest American hit, reaching number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100. The video was very interesting. It kind of has a little bit of a subversive, kind of behind the Iron Curtain you know, there's a guy that's like spying on them at the concert, you know, and reporting to, you know, whoever the the Eastern Bloc government is, you know, back when videos used to kind of tell a story. I was going to say, there, there was a string of videos like this, too. Even yeah. though Elton John got into the section. Yes, he did. Hey, Nikita, right? But uh, absolutely adore this song to this day. It, whenever I hear it, I have to turn up the volume all the way you know i just have to crank it such a good song so what's next trey we've got mr john taylor of duran duran yes <laughs> with his his lone solo single from 86 i do what i do let's check it out Now, this was from the movie Nine and a Half Weeks, wasn't it? Yes, which was gained its own notoriety for basically being smut and in theaters. This was Kim Basinger's breakout role. And Mickey Rourke, I, I think was this say, was at his height of sex symbol. I was going to say, what's, what's that schmuck's name? Mickey, um, Rourke, I never... Mickey Rourke in the 80s and early 90s was just, he was on fire, man. But uh, so we talked about nine and a half weeks. What do you think about the song? I was very disappointed in it back there. Okay, how come? What did you? What it was just you know totally was not what I was expected. What did you think? Did you like it? I kind of thought the song was maybe overproduced a little bit. Just very like uh, overpolished. It's one of those songs where you keep expecting it to get up and go, and it never quite does. And yet you chose this for one of the best songs of 86. Well, I sat down when we were working on this episode and I played it one day. And it was kind of that, you know, actually it isn't that bad of a song. I think just me, I was 15 when it came out. And I think it just kind of went over my head. Right. Well, you know. Uh, I remember it got dismal reviews when it released. The song? 
mm-hmm. or the album. I don't. I don't. Was there an album? I was about to say, was there an album for this? Yeah, there was. Is it any good? Um, I think I've listened to it once. <laughs> not not super memorable. Sorry, John. John, I still love you. I remember somebody wondering at some point over the years how much input John really had or to say. And the the solo I mean album? he yeah, he I mean he probably sang and played his bass solo, but it comes off as one of those things for a record label got more of a hand in it than, you know, they probably should have. Now he was really kind of coming off of the high, I think, of the James Bond soundtrack in eighty five, right? When yeah. they debuted to a kill. He was very very heavily involved in that. So I think at that point, I was starting to think that maybe this is where he was going to go, you know, with his career, that he was going to go into soundtracks, you know, like kind of Kenny Loggins did. Later, I think Danny Elfman, you know, did a lot of work in soundtracks. So that's where I thought he was going to go. But he probably thought he was, too. Yeah. This song, incidentally, was co-written by John Taylor with Michael Disbars. Wow who, as we learned in our last episode, took over as lead singer of the Power Station, which John was in. And and there was actually a third the writer as well, Jonathan Elias, and all three gentlemen also produced it. I, so. I just, you know, I didn't know that much about this song back then. I had the 45. That's all I could find around here. No? I, like I said, I didn't really care for it back then. I think I probably played it twice and was like, man, I don't yeah. remember. I don't remember even seeing the video very often either. Seems... Yeah, the video was really very heavy with the 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 scenes from Nine and a Half Weeks, at least the ones they could show on MTV. You know, wasn't this one of those videos where there was two? One was scenes from the movies of One Without, where they would play earlier in the day. Very likely. Yeah. Very likely. Yeah. Okay. Well, shall I move on? Let's go. All right, so we're really shifting gears here, Trey. A band that kind of had its origins <laughs> in Chicago, although the members really aren't from here. I'm speaking of Revolting Cox. Sometimes that gets shortened to Revco, especially, you know, by DJs that don't want to say it. I want to say it. Revolting Cox. And the song that they did is called 38. So you know anything about this one, Trick? Well, you're going to find this bizarre. I really, as much as I love all of the bands, members of this band are very diverse of this band at times have been involved, and I don't know a whole lot about it. Isn't okay, that well, weird? It, that is a little strange, <laughs> but uh, it's all right. Sit down. I'm going to school you. So Revolting Cox was actually organized by Al Jorgensen of Ministry and recorded on the Wax Tracks label here in the city, in Chicago. Uh, it's Luke Van Acker on vocals and guitars, and Richard 23. And yep. uh, Luke Van Acker is from Front 242, right? 
Yeah, and you're leaving out Paul Barker. I think he came later. No, he was definitely involved in this. Richard 23 quit in 1986, and then they brought in Chris Connolly and Paul Barker and Bill Reiflin. And they all went so, on to join ministry. This is when ministry turned heavy. So Paul Barker wasn't on this album. It, it was Richard 23 on this album. Well, he, he was involved in the tour, wasn't he? He may have been. He, I, I don't if, know about the tour. If, if Chris Connolly was around, I sure you Paul was somewhere. Even though he didn't play on it, he was, he was in the room. Okay. So um, the song is about the Heisel Stadium disaster. There was a soccer match, May 29th, 1985. And that's kind of what he says at the beginning, 29th of May, 1985, a day like any day. And then it says 38, and then you hear the the sample, I can tell you the official number of the dead is now put at 38. Well, it actually ended up being 39 people that died in a, a stampede at the soccer stadium. And uh, something like 400 people were injured. And so they immortalized it in an industrial dance song. Supposedly, uh, these guys are a real riot. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, I'm so glad that you said that. I finally got to see them live. It had to be, it had to be about 12 or 13 years ago. It was the first time I ever got to see them live. Al Jorgensen of Ministry was in the audience, and it was actually Al's birthday. Because at some point, they brought up this gigantic birthday cake. Had to be like five or six tiers. Everybody in the audience sang happy birthday to Al Jorgensen. And then they threw the cake out into the mosh pit. I was covered. I had frosting in my hair. I had cake all over my shirt. Some guy comes up to me after the show, and his entire forearm is just covered in cake. He looked like he'd been fist-fucking the cake. <laughs> and so he looks at me, and he says, in all seriousness, he looks at my purse and says, do you have a wet nap in that purse? And I'm like, dude, a wet nap is not going to take care of that. Go into the bathroom. And yeah. Up. It was absolutely insane. I am so glad I got to see them live. It was it was amazing. Hey, I've done laundry with wet naps. They can handle more than you think. Okay. Right. Any waiter on this planet has done that. Seriously. All right. Of this course, is Alfredo. Too, too old for this now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, back then it was uh, it was really cool. All right. So, Trey, the next song is yours, my friend. Secret Separation by The Fix. They've come up a couple of times on this show. This is one of their best songs. You know, this one is never top of mind for me when I think of The Fix. Have you lost your mind? 
Well, no, I mean, I always think of like, you know, Saved by Zero, Stand or Fall, uh, Red Sky at Night. But for some reason, I always forget about this one. This was such a it's such a fantastic. I, I I've always been confused. What he's singing is he breaking up with somebody? The lyrics are so so almost vague. Yeah. yeah. Well, so this one actually peaked at number nineteen on the mm-hmm. U.S. Billboard chart. So it wasn't their biggest hit. I was gonna say this was one of their more moderate hits. I think it was the last one they had. Really, yeah. They had to. Uh, how much is enough at 91? I think that hit 40 or 41. 35. Got that I didn't think it got that high. This is such a fantastic song. It's a live staple. You know, what do you think of it? It's so dreamy and ethereal and it's almost shoegaze. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it is a nice song. It's just forgettable. And this album, Walk About, it's also. So many people under overlook it. It's a wonderful record. That's okay. one of my favorite albums. That's not my favorite album. We know you're a huge Fix fan. Yeah, the, you listeners out there have never checked it out. I give this one a listen. That's a great album. Whole lot going on on it. Several different styles. Kind of, they kind of jump around on this one. Okay, so next up we have another one-hit wonder. Breakout by Swing Out Sister. I remember this. This is another one that was everywhere. Like Summer Fall of 87. Yeah. And when it kind of caught on here, this you could take a step without this one. So Swing Out Sister are Corinne Drury on vocals, Andy Connell on keyboards, and Mark Jackson on drums. Much like Sarah Jane Morris in The Communards, Corinne Drury just has this gorgeous... I don't want to say deep voice because she 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 can hit some high notes, <laughs> but just you know, it's just this full bodied kind of you know the voice that just has this <laughs> oomph to it. You know what I mean? From the male's per- perspective, you're indeed right. She did have a full body. Oh God! <laughs> okay, okay. Um, she was nice to look at, which was part of you know. She she's, of- she's definitely good looking. Yeah, I mean, that was part of what made this band them. They had this hot singer. I did nothing wrong okay. with it. Okay. Uh, did uh, I didn't realize, so that the name Swing Out Sisters actually taken from the title of a 1945 movie. Yeah, I knew starring that. Arthur Treacher. I did not know that. And this song, as you mentioned, was everywhere on the radio, and it peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100. Okay, up next. We have Vic Jones, but there's a after clash band, Big Audio Dynamite with E equals MC squared. 
Okay, first off, I didn't know this was somebody from the Clash when I first heard it. I thought it was, well, I saw it on Night Flight, I think, late at night. When I thought the song was cool, went in the record store a few days later, they had the club bench, I got it. I love this song. The samples and everything. And it's got such a great driving beat to it. The bass line and the drum track on this is just fantastic. So as you mentioned, this was Nick Jones from The Clash. Right. And he really kind of, he brought in, what, Don Letts. Yep. Right? Who was primarily a film director, if I'm not mistaken. Something like that. And he really kind of took a turn into, like, reggae, funk, dance music. I mean, just really, it was kind of a fusion of everything, you know? Just, like, throw it all into the the mixing pot and, and see what you get. Well, the most notable thing for me with this song is just, this is when samplers, you know what a sampler is? Yeah. This is when they were really got on the market, got cheap. And this is one of the first songs to use a whole lot of samples from, I don't know if that's from a movie or a TV show that they got in there. This was one of the first songs to do that. Well, and you know, we, we talked about samples with Revolting Cox too. Yes, yes. And we've already mixed the Skinny Puppy once before and they were well-known for their heavy use of samples. But this was one of the first more mainstream things to get some, you know, some use like that. It, that, it caught my attention. I was like, hey, what a heavy year. So I was working at a pizza place, and uh, I was working with a gentleman named Brian. And Brian knew I was a big Oingo Boingo fan, and Brian was a big Oingo Boingo fan. And he was always saying to me, you know what? If you like Oingo Boingo, you need to check out this band, Big Audio Dynamite. Hmm. Don't see that comparison, but... Yeah, to this day, I have absolutely no idea why he thought there was any similarity at all between the two. I don't see that by any stretch of the imagination. No, I don't either, and I, I don't know, but I mean, he was really heavily into both bands. I said that this guy that's big into, like, European death metal. But his second favorite was Sarah McLaughlin. So and I was I always it. like, but how did that happen? <laughs> there has to be a story there. Yeah. So I, I never really got into the earlier incarnations of Big Audio Dynamite. I like their later stuff. I loved Big Audio Dynamite too. If I had like my time again. Yeah. It was that, that. I liked it. They just wore that. Damn ground. I saw that tour they did with PIL and Live. And it, all three of the bands were terrible live. Really? Live yes. was terrible live? That's oh, wow. Probably the worst concert I've ever been to in my life. Really? Yeah, so Johnny. That surprises me. It was terrible. Big Audio Dynamite were live way too much on backing tapes and sequencers to put their show on. And it just. Well, how are you going to do all the samples otherwise? Well, they could have had a guy playing the synthesizer and play it. I suppose that's true. And wow, my friend, so that's disappointing. My friend pointed out, he's like, there's way more people on that stage playing instruments than instruments. You don't hear that many instruments. Like they were just miming? I think they were, some of it. Oh, okay. Nick was definitely playing a guitar. Some of the other people, I was like, you got a point there. That's yeah. a drum machine, not a drummer. Well, you know, another band that got some criticism around this time for plugging in their instruments and just kind of standing around and letting the instruments play. I don't know if this is true, but I heard this a lot. 
was the next band we're going to listen to, New Order. Can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's listen now to New Order's 1986 single, Bizarre Love Triangle. This will always be one of my favorite songs by New Order. Amazing I, song. I love it too. I, I remember when I got Substance and I was talking on the phone to my high school girlfriend and this song came on and she was like, is that the six o'clock news? What do you, what is that? Do you say, you know, the intro? <laughs> yeah. You know, the intro. Oh, yeah. I was like, it's New Order, you goofball. You know, when we get to 1987, we might have to do an album deep dive on substance. Oh, for sure. I could talk about that with all night, too. So there are numerous versions of this song. <laughs> Was it Brotherhood? Was this on the album Brotherhood? Yes. Should we call that Duran Duran-itis in the future? What different versions the band of the have 98 remixes funny. of the same song? That's funny. My absolute favorite version, though, is the version on the Married to the Mob soundtrack. I love that movie. I've actually never seen it. it it's terrible. It's a silly 80s love story set within the mafia. But it's it's a fun movie. It's got a great soundtrack. The, oh, the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. It's Sinead O'Connor, New Water. Uh, can't remember the rest. I Q had Lazarus. It. Q Lazarus. I had it back in the day. I still have it. It's. Uh, Tom Tom Club? Yes, that's right. It's a fun movie. Uh -huh. You should watch it one day. A good, silly 80s fun. Okay. All right. What you said about them being boring live, I saw them in 89 and they were boring. Yeah. I saw them maybe 14 years ago and they were not. So obviously I, I was, that's changed. I was going to say this was in Atlanta, Georgia in July outside. At a Six Sags amusement park, and I imagine they were just hating it. The Sugar Cubes were the opening act, but they were miserable. Sugar Cubes were, or New Order? Both bands. You could tell they were just, they were like, what the fuck? Yeah. You can, how do you live in this shit? I had a, a friend named Chris who turned me on to a lot of the music I was listening to at the time. Tom Tom Club, Oingo Boingo, we listened to together a lot, and New Order. And I remember saying, you know, I wanted to go see them live. And he had said to me, no, you don't, because all they do is they just plug in their instruments and stand around. Well, Bernard and Peter were switching instruments, as was Jillian. I mean, they were really playing. Steven sometimes played a keyboard instead of drums, but they were really playing music. They, it wasn't the music that was bad. They were just standing bad. Bernard Sumner has zero stage presence back then. Yeah. They didn't even say hey or bye or... Nothing. I can't say that really surprises me. He doesn't really strike me as Mr. Personality. Like I said in their defense, it was 158 gazillion degrees outside, and I think they were just like, Mother of God. 
I think they had no idea what they were in for. Right. And the sh- <laughs> you know, I will say the sugar keys were awful. They didn't play any of their hits. It was a mess. Yeah. I don't know what was going on with them. Could have been the heat. Hell, I don't know. Bjork just kind of stood there the whole didn't move. Well, that's normal for her. Like I said, New Order, they were not terrible love. They were just boring. They actually, oddly, didn't play many of their bits either. I don't think they played Bizarre Love Triangle either. They played most of the uh, technique album. That's about it, really. But, you know, while we're on the subject, Trey, of lousy live performances, you had (laughs) mentioned this next band. Public Image Limited. Yes. And this is their song, Rise. Could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be right. I could be black. I could be white. I could be right. I could be wrong. I could be white. I could be black. Your time has come. Your second skin. The cost so high. This was either called album, cassette, or LP, depending upon which one you got. A nice little generic label. Mm-hmm. And it's also notable for Steve Vai, who lists the guitar work on the album. I didn't know that. Yeah, not a lot of people do. There's some other hair metal guy in there, too. I forget who, but it's a couple of those guys in there. Some people, the rumor goes around, the Sisters of Mercy were working on Floodland at the same time as this album in New York. Apparently, Steve I may or may not have played a Floodland. There's sort of a sort of a weird rumor out there about that. Interesting. That really blows my mind. So obviously, Public Image Limited is John Lydon's big musical project after the Sex Pistols broke up. Mm-hmm. He'd previously been the lead singer of the Sex Pistols. This is out of all of the uh, the Public Image Limited songs. This is far and away my favorite. This is their best out by far. Oh, yeah. That's uh, the, yeah. the most critically acclaimed for sure. Mm-hmm. And notably, Johnny actually learned to sing. <laughs> you know, previously in Sex Pistols, he was really just kind of yelling a lot. He, he actually, kind of, I don't know if he had vocal lessons or just practiced or what. He actually was able to carry a little bit of a tune. Now, he's not going to win any awards for his singing. But um, the songwriting, I think, on this song is absolutely brilliant. So you know what this song is about, right? I do that. So this was inspired by... Revolution and Revolt. South African Apartheid. Ah, you know what? I believe I did hear that. Yes. And, you know, the uh, people who were protesting, and so, you know, the, the government at the time was torturing people, torturing dissidents. You know, they put a hot wire to my head because uh-huh. of the things I did and said. And anger is an energy. Anger is an energy. And actually, that was, I think, the title of one of Johnny's memoirs. He's got a couple of them out. And then that whole, may the road rise with you, that's taken from like an old Gaelic blessing. May the road road rise to greet you. May the wind always be at your back. Have you heard that one? Oh, yeah. You know, I was, I was yeah. 16 when this was out. I wasn't worried about all that shit. I just wanted to, you know, groove to some good music. 
Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> and then, you know what? And, and is that that's like a tuba in it, isn't it? Is that a tuba? I'm I don't know. It's can it's a synthesizer. Okay. It could it could be a, a tuba run through a synth, possibly. I'm sure there's a tuba sound on some of those synths they were using back then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely brilliant song. And Trey, if you had not picked it, I would have picked it for '86. And they were terrible live, like I've already said. When I saw him in '92, he didn't sing; he just yelled. Oh, and that's ironic because I was just saying how he had learned to sing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that. You know, you know, in '87 they went out to open for NXS. Yes, they did. It yeah, was so City the, Music Hall. You know, so they did most of that fall '87 kick tour because I know yeah. it came through Atlanta. Michael Hutchins was a big public image limited fan he if there's many pictures of him wearing a flowers of romance shirt i wonder if johnny rod was a douche to michael like he is everybody else probably <laughs> maybe that's a max get the fuck out of here off the tour <laughs> okay anything else on uh on pill i think that about covers it you, you've picked an excellent one for our next song and i'll let you intro it Okay. All right. Yeah. So speaking of samples, but kind of coming from the other end of the okay. musical spectrum, that's hip hop, run DMC, and their single was It's Tricky. Let's listen. This beat is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. Here we go. And rock around, I said it's not that easy. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right, on time it's tricky. How is it, It's tricky, tricky, tricky. You're not running DMC, they're running DMC. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> video is so brilliant. You're not running DMC. Listeners, if you have not seen the video, so this was when Penn and Teller were still kind of coming up. Uh, I think they had sometimes appeared on Saturday Night Live. Were they on MTV, some? It might have been. I mean, they were definitely on I, I knew they were Penn and Teller. Got it. Yeah. Rainbow. But the, the video the video is just absolutely brilliant because it starts off with Penn and Teller running a little uh, three-card Monty kind of con <laughs> on one of Run DMC's girlfriends and taking all their gold chains. They stole you know. my chain. Yeah, they keep turning the tables on each other. Right, Run DMC, you know, that turns the tables on Penn and Teller, then Penn and Teller at the end mm-hmm. turns the tables on Run DMC. And I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> the video is absolutely fantastic, but the song is fantastic too. You cannot put this song on without everybody at the party or everybody at the bar just going crazy yeah, exactly. from the very, very beginning. Do you recognize the sample in this song? What, what the is sample? You... Who is it? My Sharona by The Knack. Okay, yeah, you know, I knew that. Treat it. It's been a long time since I've heard this song. So, My Sharona by The Knack made a resurgence in, was it 92 or 94 with... 94 with that... Reality Bites. The movie, yeah. Yes, which we talked about earlier with the soundtrack. So, I said we'd mention it again, and here we are. 
I I did that back then. That was that. I remember that the like the thing about the song. And you know, this was this album really to me, to a little white girl growing up in the Chicago suburbs, going to a Catholic school. This was the first like real black hip hop album that got any kind of attention. That I mean, I remember in my eighth grade school dance, UB Illin came on and everybody at the school dance went crazy. And you never would have seen that at my school prior to that. So I was, I, I got into public enemy around, I was already a fan of, actually, I'd seen Run DMC wire at okay. the, by this point. And I, I was getting into public enemy. I was into synthesizers. Like I probably said a thousand times on this show. So I was checking a lot of this stuff out samples well, you, and you, know, you were also you you were a few years older than me and you were a right. little bit more advanced in your musical taste right. than i was so run dmc was just a shame what happened to jake was jam master jay yeah at the end of the day he was involved in something he shouldn't have been in you know but it's yeah. just horrible but they were a great great band you call them a band what do you call a group like this a group band hip-hop group i guess a right, great hip-hop group there you go yeah 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 Great gang of rappers. Actually, that might not be a good thing to say, gang. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I put my flip bob out there. Okay, up next, we have The Cure. And with Boys Don't Cry... which was a re-release of their first ever single for their 1986 Greatest Hits collection, Standing on a Beach. Or Staring at the Sea, if you've got, if you've purchased the CD copy of it. You know, I always wondered about that. <laughs> I always wondered why some were staring at the sea and some were standing on the beach. So it was, one was a CD and one was a cassette? Robert just thought it sounded futuristic to call the CD Staring at the Sea. I gotcha. I know, it makes the, I don't know, first time I ever had it. Do what? So have we talked about the cure on this podcast before? Trey? I don't think so. I don't know why we would. <laughs> why would we talk about the cure? Our listeners right now are like, what <laughs> drugs are they on? This would be the first thing they actually released since I found them back in October of 85. Okay. I had no idea it was coming. I just like walked in that. They were actually surprised at me. My local Camelot music. I was like, oh. I did not. I thought it was a new album. I didn't know it was a collection. So I got like a compilation, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I was like, wait, this is old shit. But I got the cassette, which had all the B sides and the flip side of the tape. Oh, okay. As you know, Trey, my spouse is an immigrant. He's from the Philippines, and he grew up with some American music, but not. I mean, he didn't know. And he didn't know any of the bands that we've talked about today. And I was very surprised one day I was playing 
this song and he started singing along. I'm like, wait a minute. How do you know this? But this was apparently very big in the Philippines. The cure are huge in the Asian part of the world. Well, he didn't know any of the other songs. He only knew this one. <laughs> They're humongous in Japan. Humongous. So it doesn't surprise me. Hey, you've got some news about Robert Smith from The Cure, don't you? Well, I'm sure you all know by now The Cure toured the U.S. here, start what, May, June. And uh, there's been a lot going on with Ticketmaster and our concerts here in the U.S. with nefarious corporations and scalpers taking money from fans. And so Robert Smith, I, I guess the best way to put this is Robert Smith has decided he was going to stand up to these people. And he wasn't going to let them build the cure fans. And uh, I think probably everybody on the planet's heard about this now. Because surprisingly to me, this got hit like the mainstream video. It was on CNN. And I think even Fox News of all places was covering it. But he, well, it's coming out the day that they might not have stopped all the scalpers. But they're looking into stopping the ones that did get free. But they stopped the tickets from being scalped. And then when fans finally got their tickets... They were surprised to see some just terrible Ticketmaster fees tacked onto the ticket price. So Robert got Ticketmaster to refund some of those ticket fees to everyone who's purchased a ticket. Does that about cover it? So suck on that, Taylor Swift. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you know, that's something I've said. I've said for years, if any of these bands ever wanted to stop this type of stuff, they could very easily do it. And you hear these bands like Rage Against the Machine that talk about this, you know, damn the band and all. They they do nothing about stuff like this. Here comes the cure and stops it all. Well, and I remember, I remember a time where you know there was Ticketmaster, there was Ticketron, there were other companies that you could buy tickets from. Now it's I mean, even Live Nation is part of Ticketmaster, so right. it's like they they have that monopoly. So thank you, Robert Smith. For taking a stand, I don't know if it's going to have any impact in the long run. I think it's going to take like a congressional inquiry or something. I don't think it's going to just need bands to go, look, you're not going to do this to our shows and our fans. That's all that needs to be done. It's that simple. It's that simple of a problem to solve, I feel like. And The Cure have just proven that. Do you know anybody that got a refund for The Cure show? I see... Personally, no, I've seen millions of people on the internet. Like I got my, they only oh, got okay. like, they only got like $10. Yeah. But that's still, that's, you know, that's a big chunk of Ticketmaster's fees right. that they check and, on, right? Right. So are you going to see them? I have not been able to procure a ticket. Whee! Because I was getting ready to say this tour's sold out in minutes, but like I just said, people start to realize the day that scalpers did get some of the tickets. And it's looking to me like they did get through and grab up most of them. So apparently they're getting ready to do something about that. I guess we'll, in the coming 24 hours, we'll see. So, right. who knows? I'll end up with a ticket to some show somewhere for sure. But I guess we're going to just have to let the dust settle see what goes on with this whole thing. Like I said, I, people were like, this shouldn't sold out this fast. Especially in places like Georgia. That, you know, there was this a little peculiar. Did you get a ticket? Are you planning no, on I'm going? Not, I'm not planning on going this time around. Do you ever want to see them again? 
you know what? If the if the venue's right and the time is right, yeah. I highly suggest you go to this concert then because it's probably okay. going to be the last one. But that's for sure, as they just haven't quite put it that way yet. This is their last scale tour ever. This is probably their last time visiting the U.S. Well, it's too bad that you're not closer to Chicago, Trey, because I, I also don't have anybody to go with. So, well, I, like I said, we're going to have to just wait and see what's going to happen here and there. I may end up in that part of the country at that that time. So, All right. Well, I got a big comfy couch for you. I just realized something. We didn't say a word about Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> Should we at least mention the song? We didn't say anything about it. We didn't say one word. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here, I'll start it. This is The Cure's first ever single released way back in 1978. They decided to reissue it for their greatest sense. Okay, I said that part. Yeah, you said that part. This got them even more success in the U.S., which they had achieved in the fall of 85, the Head on the Door album, especially with the uh, In Between Days and Close to Me videos. And I, I guess it's safe to say that was their groundbreaking breakthrough LP in America. And this. This single in spring of 86 also got them some more airplay on MTV and really started getting them out there more. I can't <laughs> picture the video. I don't think I've ever seen a video for this song. It's got the three little boys, Mime and the Cure, and the Robert Smiths dancing in the background. He turns around and he's got red eyes. No, I've never seen it. It's rarely if ever gets played anymore. I think it's got copyright struck. Their first album is owned by some other company that's not Polydor or Fiction or Electra, and I think it's got copyright struck and done away with it. Gotcha. So did they re-record it for the, the compilation then? I, you know, do I, don't, I don't know because it's, it's labeled as new vocal mix. Huh. So I don't know if they kept the backing music and Robert re sang the vocals or what happened there. I, I actually never know the answer to that. It doesn't seem like anyone out there does. And it's a great starter record for fans of The Cure. If you want to get into their people who are new to The Cure, you want to hear a selection of their early songs, it's just a great starting point. Go check it out, everybody. So next up, we have the godfather of punk, Mr. Iggy Pop. And he went kind of synth in 86 with this song, Real Wild Child, Wild One. What do you think of that one? It's in a lot of movies. It is, isn't it? You know, the first time I heard it was in a Crocodile V2. Remember the gang at the beginning of the movie, the help one? I don't remember it the is. second one. I only remember the first <laughs> one. Sorry. I didn't know it was Iggy Pop until like a year later. I think I finally watched the credits to the movie on HBO when I saw Iggy Pop. And I was like, it's fucking Iggy Pop. I think I thought it was Buster Poindexter when I first heard of the movie. Really? Yeah. You know, it was really kind of a departure. The first time I heard this, I remember thinking, this can't possibly be Iggy Pop. I mean, Iggy 
who's been big since like the late 60s yeah. with like Iggy and the Stooges. I mean, this man is just, he's been around. He collaborated with Bowie a lot. Kate Pearson uh, with one of his best songs. Well, he did, uh, okay. He did one song with her. I, I would, I disagree that that's one of his best songs. You're talking man, about that, Candy. That song gets me in the feels, man. Okay. Go ahead. He he and Bowie collaborated very heavily. Bowie produced, I'm trying to think which album it was, and they co-wrote China Girl together. Actually, he mm -hmm. re recorded China Girl before Bowie did. Yeah, it's about Iggy Pop's girlfriend. That, that... China Girl? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was about a woman he was dating. Apparently, Iggy has a thing for Asian ladies. Ah, see, I didn't know that. I thought you told me that. Oh, no, I, I wasn't me. I, I, you know, I love the, the lyrics. I'm just out of school. I got to dance like a fool. I still, <laughs> that's still me. <laughs> like you said, it's a bit out of left field for Iggy, but it's a good song. You know, this actually might be one of his best known songs. Oh, for, for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, being all the soundtracks and stuff. It probably is his best known song. Okay. Well, we're going to go now from Real Wild Child to Wild Wild Life. I saw this movie. So this was The Talking Heads, <laughs> and uh, David Byrne wrote this for, gosh, what was the name of the movie? Pretty Boring. That's not the name <laughs> of the movie. Look at it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Would you True say stories. It? True stories. I have not seen the movie. I had the misfortune of seeing it in the theater. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, it's about a small Texas town that's having like a, a homecoming festival and it's just it's this boring okay i have no idea what they were thinking about <laughs> well it was kind of supposed to be an art house film wasn't it uh, i always thought of an art house film it was like black and white sexy and sultry and somebody spoke french and this is just uh it's like 80 street video nonsense is what it's like watch it what's well, on youtube sit down and and bore yourself one night with your husband. <laughs> Y'all have a date. Oh, great. Anyways, well, this is know, actually a really cool song. It's catchy and upbeat. That's a cool song, and the video is really, really good, which is why it surprises me to hear you say that the movie it's from is so poor. The video is the cast of the movie. No, the video is the members of the band, and they're all dressed as different uh, different famous artists, you know, Madonna, Prince. Oh. And then we also have John Goodman. I think John Goodman. That's right. He's in the movie. I... Yes. And he's also in the video as well. But basically, they're all, all the band members are talking heads. It's just kind of having fun. You know, there's, uh, um, oh, what's his name? I can't think of the na guy's name dressed as Billy Idol from the band, you know. So it's Dave like Byrne. all the. 
No, it's not David Byrne. Uh, Jerry Harrison. It was Jerry Harrison. That's right. Was, uh... You know, speaking of sing- singers who are jerks, apparently David Byrne's a real asshole. I, yeah, I've heard that. I, but, you yeah. know, I also hear that he's on the autism spectrum. So I kind of wonder how much of that is something he can control. You should go look up what Chris Brands has to say about him. Oh, I've read his. I've read his book. Oh, yeah, I, I, I really, I enjoyed his book actually. Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. That's my Forrest Gump transition. Oh, so the, the the last two are yours. Up next, we have Blooded Roses from the Smithereens. Really underrated, oh, underrated God. band. This baseline band, good God, it just gets in you and won't, won't, won't get out. Oh, tell me about it. Yesterday morning, I woke up with this song in my head, and it just was literally stuck in my head all day, and I blame you. But that's okay, because there's there's worse songs I can have stuck in my head. The, the thing about this song is it has such a late 80s alternative rock groove to it uh-huh. but this guitar uh-huh. is just drenched 1960s you know they're almost jangly they're, yeah, they're yeah, not, yeah. not quite but they're there they're there there are definite birds influence in this song and of course the smithereens were a terrific band had several just unbelievable albums start with this one and on into the early 90s but also sadly what year was it 2017 Captain Izio died. Yeah, passed away. Yeah, it was December 2017. You're right. Yeah, and that was that was a pretty sad accident. They were still going. I mean, they were just troopers. You know, they were one of those bands that would play to three people and not give a flying fuck about it. Which I always yeah. thought was cool about them. You know, I think they were really kind of overshadowed by a number of the other alt-rock acts around this time. I mean, if you look at any, like in Rolling Stone magazine around this time, if you look at the back page where they had the album charts and they would always have the college album charts mm-hmm. and the ones that were always on there were Susie and the Banshees, the Smiths and the Smithereens. Yeah. They were always at the top of the college album charts. And, you know, we still talk about Susie. We still talk about the Smiths. I, I kind of feel like people forget about the Smithereens. They were a really, really good, strong band. They never broke through to the Vegas starter. Those other two bands you just mentioned had, which is a shame. They did have some pretty big hits, which is, you know, it's weird how it's like that with some bands. They'll have a couple of five, six massive hits in a row that just, boom, they're gone. People forget them, like you said. I think people are fickle and uh, tastes change very quickly. You know, I talk to people now that are younger. They ask me about being an alternative music in the 80s, and I'm like, we liked it all. Yeah. Somebody like me that was in the goth music, we would listen to the Smithereens and R.E.M. We liked all of 
even though we might have had a particular favorite genre of it. We just we were buying it all. So yeah, Blood and Roses never really charted on the Hot 100, but it actually did reach number 14 on the mainstream rock chart in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Interesting. MTV was playing this video more than a little bit. I don't remember ever seeing it on MTV. Oh, re- wow. I, I remember well, you were this. watching 120 minutes and I wasn't. Well, that, I don't think at this time of the, well, at that time of the year, this came, I don't think 120 minutes was really there yet. It didn't start till August or September of 86. And I didn't hear about 120 minutes until, I'm not 100% sure, it was late 86, early 87. You know, one other thing worth mentioning, though, about this song, Blood and Roses, WOXY.com, back in 2009, ranked it in the modern rock 500 songs of all time at number two, 299. I forgot about modern rock. There was college rock, and then there was a brief phase there where it was all called modern rock before uh-huh. somebody latched on the alternative rock there. About 86, 87 is when that jumped into things. Yeah. All right, Trey, you got one more. We have Kundalini Express from Love and Rock. an interesting choice why did you choose this one it just rocks okay all right <laughs> i mean that's like i said previous in the episode i was 15 16 years old at this time i would walk i was like what the fuck is a kundalini i still not well, really then, sure what a kundalini is so that's the um I think uh, it's something max white did she was doing yoga it's the it's the energy <laughs> Uh, center that moves up the body through the chakras, the kundalini energy. So it starts at the root chakra and then it moves up through, you know, the different, you know, like the the solar plexus, the heart, the throat, and then ultimately out the crown. But it's like the, the life force energy of the person. Like, well, I want to get my chi aligned with Mars and the outer ultra omega placenta yeah, exactly. of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. But it's it is uh it it's sometimes referred to as like the serpent. I was I was a boy. <laughs> I did that. Okay. All right. I I on that doubt have seventy five eighty three, and then somebody in the record store was like, "You should buy this Love and Rockets album because it's the people from Bauhaus." So I did, and boom. Yeah, and we've talked about Love and Rockets before. Daniel Ash. David J. Yep. and Kevin Haskins, right? And they have reunited at our touring this summer. Yes, they are. West Coast only for right now, but I don't know what I'm going to do this summer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be penniless. But it would be worth it. Yeah. Is this is, like I said about the Curious, it's probably the last time we're going to see a lot of these bands. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Susie? Yeah, Duff, she's, this is going to be it for her. Same thing. These guys, Love and Rock, they're in their 
early 60s now, which is hard to believe. And apparently Peter Murphy's a real douche and Bauhaus is never going to exist again. Well, he's, uh, he had to call off his tour, they said, because of some kind of health reasons. Peter Murphy. There's people in the Bauhaus Love and Rockets Facebook group that are friendly with the band and they say he's pretty much an addict and you know, they are going to come out and say this, but yeah, he's, they had to get away from him, finally. So, I don't yeah, know. I, I, did I tell you about the, okay, there is a woman in Chicago who is very, very well known on the goth scene. So if anybody listening to this is familiar with the goth scene, you know who I'm talking about. She is a music journalist. She is very much obsessed with have you, uh, P- Peter Murphy. You've told me about this woman, haven't you? I, I have told you about her, yes. So she will tell anybody who listens. She thinks Peter Murphy is a vampire. And one night, while she was driving, Peter Murphy ran her off the road to give his dark gift to her. How old is this woman? That word. About my age, maybe a little bit older, maybe two years older, three years older. But she she insists, and, and she uses that word, the dark gift. He gave me his dark gift. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that I don't really refer to myself as a goth much? And I, I imagine things like this. That, that's, that's probably you, why. You just described the exact person as to why. Because people, I started realizing people are going to think you're like that. <laughs> But then they listen to you, and you're totally not. Well, but, you know, the average normal person. Down here, I have to be careful. Distance myself from that a bit. I think, you know, I actually think that's why Robert Smith does it, too. Yeah. Because he's like, I don't don't like that word. And that's got to be why. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we didn't use this word back, at least around here. We didn't use this word in the 80s. Back then, it was death rock. I like that better, but it makes people think you're in the battle. Right. Well, and up here, we were called the New Waiters. I don't think I heard the term goth until the mid-90s. I probably heard it about 87, 88, but... Okay. Well, Trey, is there anything else you need to say about Love and Rockets? I think that about covers that. Go check them out this summer if you happen to be near where they're touring thus far. Yes. I'm going to try to. Oh, nice. Okay, so... Our listeners are probably right now thinking, boy, there are some very important artists that you omitted from your list. Yes, that's true. And that's because we are going to do three album deep dive in our upcoming episodes. So, Trey, do you want to talk about these or do you want me to talk about them? We're going to start off with Please by the Pet Shop Boys. Yes. And that is going to be April 22nd. We're going to do an album deep dive on that one. And then we're going to do Peter Gabriel's So, and that will be Saturday, May 6th. And if you don't like that album, you're just not human. That is quite frankly, (laughs) I think, one of the top 10 best albums ever recorded, full stop. I wouldn't go to top 20, but yeah, we could have a debate about that. But it's a fantastic album. Don't get me wrong. Okay. And then May 20th, Trey... We're going to do Notorious by Duran Duran. There's a lot to say about this one. Yes. So we're still going to be focusing on 1986 for the next three episodes. Again, Pet Shop Boys, please. 
Peter Gabriel Soap and Duran Duran Notorious. And then hopefully by the by June, we will be on 1987. That brings us to an end for this episode. Please tune in in two weeks as we do our first of three album deep dives. Goodbye from me. Good night, everybody. 